episode. I'm Dina Adams, your host. And today we are talking with Nicole Magic. I am so excited to have you here. So first of all, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I met Nicole within the last couple of months. It's a very new connection. And one of the first things I noticed about Nicole in a online Zoom event was she is just her energy. She didn't even say anything yet. This was just my initial um, feeling when it came to Nicole was, I don't judge you. I love people. And I just want to help you with whatever that is. And I don't show up as my best all the time. That was my first instinct of Nicole. Over the next few weeks, that was shown very prominently in that same every week meeting because of what she was going through and how she was very willing to say, you know what, today I just, I can't, I have nothing to offer, but my, my, me holding space and to, to hear her authenticity and her willingness to be vulnerable in those moments, especially with people in the room that she didn't know, like that struck me. And as we got talking, we learned how we do things so differently from from a different belief system, but our goal and what we do is actually very similar. And we got very excited. (laughs) So I'm really, I'm just, I'm just very honored to have you here today. And so Nicole, if you would please just tell people who you are, what you do, how you serve people, and then we'll dive into your story a little bit. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dina. I appreciate you and everything that you do. And I love it. Uh, I'm Nicole Magic. I am the empowerment alchemist. I used to be a chemist and I now, and for the last almost 15 years, have been helping business owners and leaders go from resistance to resilience. And basically, um, I help provide massive spiritual shifts that heal and enlighten and uh, tend to create miraculous manifestations of wealth. So I do this by tapping in with you to your beliefs and helping you create a personalized roadmap to get to your success while busting through the beliefs that are blocking you from achieving that success. So that's it in a nutshell. (laughs) I love the nutshell. (laughs) I, my first, the first two words that really stuck out to me was that was in that description was resistance to resilience. And I would like for you and for people who weren't, who want more, there's more on the pod uh, on the YouTube channel that we just talked about, but I would like for you to share your story of going from resistance to resilience, because One of the things that I know a lot of people need is they need to hear someone else's story so they can connect and be like, oh, they went through that. I've been through something like that. And and that means I can dot, 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 right? And so I would love for you to just, I want to give you the floor to just share your story and I'll interject with questions or anything if I want to have you elaborate or whatever, if that works for you. That sounds good. I I actually am feeling like um, with what you said about 
connecting with someone's story. And I, I feel like there are so many people that I do connect with because there are so many stories through my life, right? So maybe we'll do a little salt and pepper instead of me locking in on one. I feel yeah. like you have, I, your, your network that's listening in, I feel is very diverse, right? So there mm-hmm. may be a lot of different things. Um, when I was a kid, so I'll just like pick things that just come to me. When I was yeah. a kid, I was a middle child. So any middle children out there, power to you. Um, I, I had this need to be very independent because I was the middle child, right? I was the one who got it from, you know, both angles of, you know, my older sister and my younger sister. And then there was, oh, that kid over there. <laughs> That's the perception, right? That it doesn't necessarily have to be what was true, but it was a perception. And when we were children, we, we put meanings to things and then we carry them through our lives. So at various points in my life, I always felt like I'd play alone in my yard. I love nature. So I'd, I'd do all things. I'd, I'd try to help animals. I was like a little snow white kind of thing. And I felt very alone, even though I got along with everyone at school. It was one of those things. I got along with everyone, but I also didn't always have like my little click because I kind of didn't believe in that either, right? So at some point I had my circle of friends that I hung around with for years and years. However, I still felt connected to everybody but no one at the same time so there was a lot of that I was a very intuitive child and I grew up in a very Christian household where there was a lot of fear around those types of things so it wasn't right it wasn't proper it wasn't godly and um, you know I remember God bless my mom um, I hope you don't hear this mom, but it's true. My mom tried to exercise me a couple of times because of, you know, things and saying things that I shouldn't be saying or knowing things or, you know, finding things that wasn't quite right, but I was trying to find answers and understand what was happening because I could see auras and energy around people. I knew things that were happening. Um, I, I saw things before they happened and my family has a gift of foresight. We'll, we'll put it that way. Um, and a very intuitive people, dreams, ev- visions, everything. And yet mine, were not right because you know I knew when people died. Um, I could see dead people. Um, I knew things that I shouldn't know, and and it freaks people out sometimes, and especially at the level that I had it. So I I learned very early to stifle it down. Don't speak about it. Just be in myself, and you know. I was the creepy little kid that played in the attic with the dead people. I did, but the the lady who died in my house, she was like my friend. 
<laughs> I, I, I just have to, I, I'm sitting here going, okay, yes, I have a diverse audience and I'm talking about your story resonating with people. And I'm like, yes, me, 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 me. <laughs> and there's something I, I want to share about that because this will help people realize that just because one person responds in one way or sees, has a perception, like you said, has a perception of it one way, doesn't mean someone else who's going through very similar things will have the same perception. Right. For me, being intuitive and knowing things, I knew things about people before they even knew it. So I was crazy or seeing dead people was just not, you're going to end up in the nut house if you tell anybody else this or, you know, all those things. So instead of embracing it, I should, and I asked God, I was like, I can't. And I was little, I was, I was a tiny person (laughs) still. And I said, I have, I, I, I can't. Because I was so afraid my perception was they're going to send me away and put me in some crazy mental hospital. That was was my perception. Say that again. When I was in my teens, I thought that because I became very quiet in certain instances and around people, um, especially groups, because Mm -hmm. I could hear what people were thinking inside their heads, like Mm. questions. So I would hear out loud, like it sounded out loud. I would hear the questions that people were having in their heads and I would answer them. <laughs> if I knew the answer, I'd answer the question and, and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's blah, blah, blah. And people were like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you asked this. And they'd be saying, no, I didn't. I weirdly was thinking it but I didn't say it. I'm like, right. And when it happened enough times, I just, whenever Mm -hmm. anybody asked a question, I wouldn't answer unless I physically saw them. them, Yeah. Saying it to me, hearing it and, you know, notice what other people were doing too. So I had to. And and when you think about or when you talk about being in a room with all these people and you have gifts that God has blessed us with where our creator said here, right? I made you in my image. Here are giftings that are mentioned in the Bible. I'm just going to put that out there. It's mentioned in a lot of places, right? In a lot of faith systems about them being gifts, but people reject and fear what they do not understand. And if it's not talked about in a way for people to accept it, it is rejected. And as you're talking about that, I think about my own social anxiety, being in a room. And I was always told, this is not the time. This is not the place. You don't say things like that. You don't upset people. You don't say anything that's going to cause any rift. Well, if my intuition is to go up to this person And I have no idea why, but I know I need to tell them what, you know, I'll use an example from when I was older, because I don't remember a lot of the ones when I was little, but I walked up to someone in a church one day. I had never met them. And I said, I just felt really guided to come over here and tell you that 
even though you're having this challenge with this person, know that you just keep trusting God. And he wanted me to let you know that he is, he's working in the background. And so even though it seems like nothing is happening and it's not getting better, he's working. And the person broke out in tears Mm -hmm. because they had been praying for answers. And if I, I will, I was the person that would walk up. I'll, I'll walk up to people in a grocery store. Like if that's where God's guiding me, that's what I would do. But when I was little, if I did that, it, a lot of it was people weren't ready to hear some things. They weren't self-aware enough to know what I knew about them. And I feel I'm very empathic. And so I feel people's feelings and I can express them by what I understand them to be. But for them, that feeling might be something completely different, which creates a lot of problems when I'm like, can you just stop feeling like this? Like, I don't know why you're feeling this way. Well, I'm not feeling that way. Well, they don't know how to express that feeling. They don't know how to verbalize it. They don't know how to put a name to it. Therefore, it caused a lot of problems. And so I learned very young that I am a chameleon and I just need to adapt and say and do whatever everybody else wants me to do, which becomes people pleasing and over explaining and all the trauma reactions and everything. Not because that was anyone's intention, but it was my perspective because of what was happening around me and the fears it created in me. And so I love that you're talking about this because this is a lot of things that people will never talk about. Right. And this is the real stuff that happens behind closed doors in our quiet time internally when we're beating ourselves up because we're different. Because we see things different, we think differently. And I'm not even talking about the special gifts that people have. I'm just talking about being human in general and the way you see the world, right? We can get we can get so beaten down because of how we see the world that we feel like we are on an island by ourselves. So this is a great conversation just to show people that there's so many more people out there going through what you're going through. You're not alone. And I hope that brings people some comfort. Yeah. And that the whole piece on people fear what they don't understand is huge. And I say it all the time, especially like when it comes to beliefs, I usually put it as, you know, people, if, it, if it's not familiar to you, you will reject it. Right. So it doesn't matter what it is. It, it, and that's a different flavor of you fear what you don't understand. Um, mm, I want to add something to that familiar piece. Okay. There is a scripture that says a prophet is not known in his own land. And so a lot of times on the flip side of familiarity, if it's too familiar, people will discount the wisdom and the greatness and the gifts that are coming from someone. Oh yeah. That's, that is, Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. Cause that, that is always, well, not always, let's not say always. Right. But that is a huge thing. The parents out there, this is why your kids don't listen to you. And then they'll listen to their aunt or their uncle or somebody else or a complete stranger. It doesn't matter. It's because you are so familiar, right? That, well, you're just being 
insert whatever they say there, right? Mm-hmm. Just being, you know, whatever, controlling, or you're just being, you know, mom or dad or whatever. Yes. And, they and that goes listen. back to our conversation before we got on the podcast piece. This is on the YouTube part of it, but that's why it takes a village to raise a child. And that's why when my kids were younger, even when they would be angry at me, I'm like, as long as you're talking to someone who is wise counsel, I don't care if it's me, but it has to be wise counsel. It can't just be your peers. You can't just listen to your friends who are currently going through it because they only know what they're going through and not how to get to the other side. And my kids were just there. Like I talked to this person. I talked to this person. I talked, great. Go seek wise counsel. I'm not the end all be all of your world, but I'm always here whenever you need anything. And I was one of those, my kids would call me overprotective. And one of the things I learned too is when I eventually, took me a while, just for you other parents out there, took me a while. When I learned that there's so much that I can learn from my kids, I missed out. I missed out learning so much when they were younger, because even though I was attempting to hear them, I was hearing out of my own brokenness and I was hearing from my old perspectives of the world and out of my fears. I wasn't hearing them with a growth mindset. I wasn't hearing them with how can I learn from them? I didn't learn that till they were much older. And so there's a lot that I missed out on learning from my older kids as well, because by the time I learned that they were, they were adults Mm. and they missed out on that opportunity to see how much I cared about them because the way I was hearing them and how I put it into action didn't, was not perceived by them as me doing something good, it was this caused this cycle of devastation in my life. Mm. Right. And I'm like, but I just made the best decision I thought in the moment. And I did all this research and figured all this out, but I didn't hear the one person that I needed to hear in order to make the best decision for them. I was listening to everybody else. And so I think that's a great thing to think about is when we are thinking about our perception and moving forward and overcoming and growing and doing all of this inner work, we have to recognize that there's so much we don't know because we only know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. If we don't give ourselves room to learn and to be guided and step out of that ego, we can learn we can learn things to say. We can learn actions and make new habits, but that doesn't mean we've learned how to, that we've actually grown. We're just doing something from a still broken place. And I think that's, you know, everything that you do, I know you bring in, in, in your program, you bring in things like CBT and NLP and quantum physics and all of these things to help people stop self-sabotaging. And so what I would love to know is on this journey that you've been taking, where, where, what was your 
your journey, not so much was it like this one aha moment. It might've been just over time, this was an awareness, but what was it that brought you to this place that said, this is how I, oh, I need to change my beliefs. I'm self-sabotaging myself. I'm creating this space. I am doing this to myself and I need to change that. And no one else is responsible. Like how, how did you come to that? And then how did you work through that? Because what I hear is like, but this person did this and this person did this. And I'm like, I, I can only take responsibility for myself. But a lot of people will say, because of them, this happened and they take no responsibility for even the decisions that they made in reaction. So I'd love to hear what that looked like for you. Yeah. So I think, I think there were a, a few instances where that played out. So um, I'm going to go back to when I was about 12 years old. Uh, there was a part of me, so this is kind of like how I think about things. And when I have my mind set on something to achieve, I want to achieve that thing, right? So I, there was a moment in a class, I was just sitting in high school, my high school was seventh through 12th grade. So that was like, that was a big thing. Um, I was sitting there as a seventh grader. And I was thinking about all these things in my life and what I didn't like about it and how I felt, you know, that whole need to be right that we were talking about earlier is, you know, there was also, that came from too, like you had to be, you had to be right. You had to get A's, you had to, you know, be perfect. And so I was so afraid to raise my hand in class because I didn't want to be wrong. I didn't want to give the wrong answer. And then I was going to look stupid, be stupid. Everybody's going to know how stupid I am, right? This is coming from a kid who I was in all these gifted programs growing up since first grade. First grade, they used to ship us to the high school. We were working on the first Apple computers with the floppy disks. And we were, we were creating, um, we were making like games. We were... I don't know, we were actually creating these games and then we were playing these other games and doing all this stuff. They were testing us all through. So from first through sixth grade, all the way. Um, and I, I remember finding uh, a handful of years when I went through my divorce and I was going through like old boxes of stuff to throw out, I found old test results and I was like ranked in, I was, you know, the top 1% across the nation in, in those tests. And I remembered in that moment too, why didn't my parents do something greater with me with this? Like, why didn't they push me in a direction? And I, and that kind of stuck with me for a little bit. So I'll go back to that in a second, because it was, that was a huge shift moment um, a few years ago, even with a specific belief. And so it, when I was 12 years old, I remember thinking like, I'm so sick and tired. So there, that's like a certain type of belief too, right? I'm so sick and tired because you create sick and tired by thinking I'm so sick and tired. But in that moment back then I was thinking, I'm so sick and tired of people taking advantage of me. And, and I'm so sick and tired of 
being so afraid to do things. So I would psych myself. I came up with this uh, like my own program I would I'd be like okay so in order for me to do this I just need to get really excited and psych myself out and and like spin my mind wheels so fast that I just do it and not think about it right and <laughs> so I do it and I remembered raising my hand because I used to unless I absolutely knew I was 100% right I wouldn't raise my hand and then when I would I would have my hand up there going but what if I only think I'm right <laughs> So I raised my hand and I got the answer wrong. And, and that was not the right answer. And teacher said that wasn't the right answer. And I, three kids around me, one right behind me went, I thought that was the answer too. And then two other kids were like, yeah, me too. And I was like, okay, I'm not alone. So it wasn't so bad. Right. And yeah. then now I know the answer. So I just kept doing that. I would have to psych myself out because I'd, I'd be like, why do I feel so stupid right now? And then I'd just do something the opposite and just push myself beyond the limits. Fast forward to um, I, I actually had a near death experience that shifted everything. Because um, we talked about pre this about my um, stifling things a little bit more all of my gifts like like even though they were still always there I would like quiet them down or right. try to it. I couldn't ignore it but after this near-death experience it was like full-blown you are not ever ignoring this ever again kind wow. of thing, to the umpteenth level and it was like freaking myself out and um so I just went with it and I I started teaching people because of things that I saw in these visions and people kept asking me can you can you teach this can you teach that I'm like yeah I can teach that I can teach that I can teach that and that's how my business evolved was everything that I did it was all about empowering people to really tap into whatever it is to to get them to be themselves to to tap into what they wanted to become what was really inside there that they wanted to be comfortable becoming and so there was that um, when a few years after that um, near death experience I ended up I used to be a chemist I ended up um, almost dying from mercury poisoning. And that was a huge turning point in my life because that was one of those um, instances. I, I won't say there was a moment because it was uh, like a handful of years. It was, if you go to when it started downfall to hitting the bottom and then coming back up and out of recovery and all of that, it was a good eight years. Oh my God. Um, it took a few years for it to hit critical levels and and go to my brain and mess everything up there. Um, I went through a pregnancy. My youngest, uh, I I was unknowingly being poisoned with mercury, and I went through a pregnancy with my daughter. Good thing she was everything was a okay with her. Um, I lost memory 
I, there are some things that, you know, my job function was, it was craziness because I mean, I'd walk into walls. I'm like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> oh my gosh. I kept going to the doctor for different things. And I wasn't that person that would go to the doctor very like mm-hmm. just anything. Um, but I was typing up a, uh, an update for a presentation that I was supposed to give. And I'm looking at my, <laughs> I'm looking at the email that I'm typing up and, you know, just doing my thing. And I'm going, why does that look so weird? And everything there was, it was mumbled jumble. And I looked where my fingers were, everything was on the right keys. So I sat back and I was just staring at it for a minute because, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love to solve problems, puzzles and all that. And I recognized that I was typing entire sentences backwards. I'm thinking forward and typing entire sentences backwards. And oh, how like, crazy. Creepy, crazy. Mm. I was like, what is wrong with my brain that this is happening? Right. And here's a funny thing is, you know, my ex-husband now, but my husband at the time, I called him up. I said, there is something drastically wrong with me. And he was joking, um, but he goes, you're only figuring that out now. <laughs> and I was like, normally that would be hilarious. However, I'm really serious right now. And I told him what was happening. And he was like, oh my God, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, back to the doctor. Let's figure this out. And, and it was just, it was from that point, it was scariness. So I, I felt like having that mercury poisoning to that level, a, a year and a half of doctors testing me and they couldn't figure out what it was until I passed out. And so now fast forward, I went through a pregnancy. I said, while being poisoned, my daughter was about um, maybe about almost two and I passed out getting her like some milk for her cereal. And I woke up and she was like doing, like tapping my face and saying, you know, mom, like giggling, thinking I was playing with her. And, mm-hmm. and at that moment, I, I thought to myself, I have to figure out what's wrong with me because had I died in that moment, that's how she would remember. And then my son who was, six at the time my youngest son was six he was upstairs with my other son um who was I think uh nine and then my other son was out with my husband at the time so they weren't home so those kids would have found me dead so that scene just played through my mind and I I said I'm just gonna figure out what's wrong with me I locked myself in a room pretty much and just did intuitive scan. I'm like, okay, it's time for me to become my own client and scan, scan, scan. And all I kept hearing was mercury. So I had written down all of my symptoms that I ever experienced from hair loss to walking into walls, all this stuff. And wouldn't you know, I look up mercury poisoning and I'm like, any one of these things doesn't indicate that but if you look at all of it I was experiencing all of it Mm. 
So when I called up the doctor, I said, I think you need to test me for mercury poisoning. And he laughed at me and I was like, come on, Nicole, like nobody gets mercury poisoning. It's just ridiculous and blah, blah, blah. And um, I was like, okay, well, come on. I've been being tested for like, like a year and a half now. And like, nothing is working. Nothing is coming up. Like all this stuff, thyroid sonograms and brain things and walking around like I'm some Star Trek character. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Can we just do a simple blood test? Amuse me, please. Just amuse me. All right, fine. And then I get a call back saying, um, you need to go see a specialist immediately. This is really scary and I don't know what to do. So what I, I'm baffled by that. And I understand that doctors don't always know outside of their own specialty and they don't think things can actually happen sometimes, which baffles me even more. But what I'm curious about is how in the world were you getting mercury poisoning? Great question. Especially over such a long period of time. And I know, you know, you were a chemist and all of that, but there's precautions that people take and all of those things. So I'm just really intrigued in figuring, like learning how you got that. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm going to put it in, I'm going to be politically correct in my speech. Mm. So I want to talk about transparency and authenticity and, and all of that. Um, there's a certain level of carefulness, I think. Absolutely. I definitely want you to, you know, there's, there's a certain level of respect for what you can and can't say. And so definitely. Yeah. So just follow me on this. Yeah. I was a chemist. I didn't work with mercury. Uh, I, I, for a very, very long time there was, I had moved into a new building and my office, um, what I had this office and there were periods that I was like, I don't know what is happening, but I feel very confused and there's gotta be fumes coming in here. So I would call EHS, environmental health and safety, um, multiple times a week for a long time and they, they kept coming down and they kept finding nothing and like I don't know what's going on but I just feel so confused and then fast forward when I found out I had mercury poisoning um, I was actually pulled out of work for for like six months uh, and I found out, well, I got lumped into a layoff after I asked them to test my room for mercury for a project that got cut that I didn't even work on. And I was the only one of that kind. I, um, the letter that was written for, to, to ask for that, um, I received a reply back saying that it's too expensive. We're not going to do it. And um, just from a lawyer. And 
I was like, okay, I'm just trying to figure out where it's coming from so I can avoid this. And then, then I was lumped into the layoff and I had to sign a waiver that I wouldn't sue them to get my severance package. And I was the sole provider for my family of six. At the time, my husband was disabled and I was the only person making money in the house. Oh my gosh. With four small children. And uh, it was it was quite devastating on many levels, um, financially, personally. The me working through the mercury poisoning ended up having to liquidate my my retirement assets because my first month cost me eighteen thousand dollars out of pocket for the medical treatment. Is that what that was for for the medical treatment? Once you found out you had mercury poisoning, yes. Hmm. So, so um, when after I had left. I found out that the, so there, there's a, this is a twofold factor to answer your question. The room next door that they were doing work in at the time, they were like the HVAC system was in there and there was a bunch of stuff that was happening in that room. So this was, would be why there would be an influx of, thing, of vapors in, was that that room used to be the old thermometer room. So mercury has a 32-year half-life, meaning it doesn't just go away. You can clean it up. The vapors are there, all the things. Um, and they la like in order for half of it to go, go away in vapor form, it takes 32 years. And then another 32 years for that to go down to half, which would be 25%, right? So it's <laughs> there's so much with that. My specialist also said that my symptoms and my blood tests, because we ended up doing a series of tests that was more in depth than just the blood test. Um, but it indicated I had no elimination rate for mercury. So we did hair, blood, and urine, and it showed like how long it's been in my body, um, what levels it's in my body, and then how much is being excreted out. And I had no elimination rate, which means all of it coming in was staying in and finding places to rest, including my brain. He said to me, Nicole, the levels that you have, because he said, I can't believe you're having a conversation with me right now. And at the time, this was what I sounded like. You called this conversation. Like that's how I was talking because I could not process things. And it would take me a while. If you said something to me, I would hear this. And then I sit there and stare at you for about 30 to 60 seconds until somewhere in my brain would process Oh, hi, Nicole. How are you doing today? And when I asked him, like, you call this a conversation, he said, well, let me put it to you this way. Let me put it into perspective. He said, most people with levels as high as yours are either vegetables or dead. I can't believe you're sitting here in front of me right now and we're having a conversation. 
And I looked at him and I just like that right there was like a mic drop. And I said, okay, well, that's not an option. Like I'm thinking my kids need me. That's not an option. What do we do? Let's do it right now. Like do it. Yeah. Filter my blood. I don't care what you do. Like just do something. And, and it started another like 18 months to two year process of chelating it out. Um, but he said that I, I had symptoms that were indicative of a genetic mutation that I should check out. And it turns out at the same time, my sister was having health problems and she found out we did have that mutation. So, um, and I was like, oh, this is, I think this is the mutation that my, my doctor was saying. And it turned out it, it was. So I, because of this genetic mutation, um, it's a certain type of methylation mutation called MTHFR. And um, some of the people that have it, a certain form of it, they can't process heavy metals. So because I can't process heavy metals, I couldn't excrete it out because there's no pathway for it to get out unless something goes in and grabs it and pulls it out. That's chelation. And in chelation, it's really difficult because you're stripping out all the good things while you're stripping out the mm -hmm. bad things. So I like, for example, I walked around with a, a suitcase of stuff that I had to take. I wasn't even hungry through the day because of all the buffers, the pills, the supplements, the, all these tinctures and all these things that I had to take, these powders and whatever. Every hour and a half, I was taking something else. Every hour and a half, 24 hours a day, for a year and a half it was I wouldn't wish that on anyone and I just wanted to die at some points because I was like I just I don't even want to be doing this um but that whole process was there's that survival mode right you're in a certain survival mode um and then there's also the people need me <laughs> little people need me yeah um and there's so much that my body was so stressed out oh for i was gonna say that the one vitamin that i was taking per day had to be 12 of those in a day to put back in the stuff that was being stripped out that's how much how aggressive it was in my the doctor that laughed about the mercury poisoning was like, you shouldn't be doing this chelation therapy. I'm like, well, look where the mercury poisoning test got us. So, so I'm just going to do this. And like, I got to get this out because I don't want, I don't want this. I don't want to live like brain mush. I was this prisoner in my, in my head that I knew what I wanted to say and I couldn't get it out. So I used to say that I know, and I, I'll still say, I know what a stroke victim feels like when they they know what they want to say, but they just can't find the words or they can't get it out. They can't make it go from here to here. And it's one of the most horrible feelings trapped. Wow. So that's, that's such cute. a, wow. Like to listen to the journey throughout your childhood and to go through this poisoning and to come out on the other side, recovering and helping people the way you do. 
there's something in it that I hope people will will get from this that, you know, I'm not that person who when someone says something, I'm going to pump myself up and hype myself. Up. I'm not that person. I'm like, I need someone else to tell me that I can do that. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Right. And so there's probably people listening that go, there's no way I could go through that. There's no way I'd come through it. There's no way. And I want to say there's always a way. We all have something inside of us that no matter what we face, we can come through it. It may not be the way Nicole did. We may not handle it the way she did. We may not do the things she did. But If you are still here and you are breathing, you have come through in some way, all of these things that you've been through in your own life. And we all have a story, right? We all have a story. If we were to sit and and take inventory of our life, of the great things and the not so great things, of everything that we have overcome, I think we would realize that we all have something inside of us that will help us move forward and move through these traumatic moments and seasons that we go through. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you found, like, I'm, I'm so like, grateful is a really bad word. That's not what I meant. Like I'm, I'm having a hard time grabbing my words right now because I'm in sh- like I'm in awe. Like I'm in shock of all the things that you just said. I'm still trying to process, but I think of and I keep coming back to this moment when you're like, I have to figure this out. I have to sit down and I have to figure it out at the level that you were at. And the as hard as it was for you to process things, that you're the one that figured out what was wrong with you. Yeah. And you could still somehow figure it out. This goes back to what we were talking about before. There are, there's a force at work that's bigger than us. There's that intuition. There's that gut instinct, that guidance that we get that isn't us. Right. And when we are guided so that we can come through something so we can help somebody else, that's a bigger power whatever people call it, whatever their belief system, right? And that's why Nicole and I are both so passionate about people finding a belief system, finding something bigger than themselves. Because if if Nicole would have been like, I'm the end all be all of this, like I am the only one that can fix this. She wouldn't have gone to doctors to rule out anything. She wouldn't have listened to the instincts and the intuition and the gifts that she had. Therefore, she would not have found the answer. Yeah. If I and was so, else, I wouldn't have even gotten there. If what? If I felt like I was the be all end all, I would have never made it to even that point in my life. <laughs> I know. Right. Right. Uh, I'm <laughs> so honored to have you have you here sharing your story. And I, I know it will impact and Um, empower many people listening. One thing I want to leave people with today is to remember to embrace your inner truth. If you don't know what it is, 
start seeking it. Um, that usually I'm full of words, but that's all I have. Like that, <laughs> that's it today. Um, Nicole, if you guys want to connect with, with Nicole, there will be a link in the description on the podcast, or if you're watching on YouTube, it will be there as well. Reach out to her, get connected. She's an incredible, kind, compassionate, just empowering person. Um, Nicole, do you have anything you would want to leave our listeners with today? Let's see what's coming to me is just tap into whatever it is that's inside of you. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing right now, because anything that you're going through, if it feels negative, I always say things are seemingly negative. Everything is always working in your favor. It might seem negative because it's uncomfortable, but it's positioning you for massive shifts, transformations, and success. So if you can just change your perspective on what is happening to you into what is happening through you, what is it that you want to create? And then just put your eyes on that and move forward because everything else, you'll have things that dismantle. It's okay. Foundations crumble because they're not going to be supportive of the masterpiece that you're building. So just think of it that way and just keep moving forward, even if it's a half step at a time. That's all that I have to say because you guys are awesome and tap into your awesomeness. Thank you so much. This was amazing. And I appreciate you being here and sharing your greatness with everybody. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so grateful that you asked me on and I look forward to more of our interactions all along the way. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate all of you too.